So that's kind of a couple of tips would be really key partnerships and, you know, only take on the stuff you can or want to do. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Eric Nelson. Eric, how are you doing today? Doing awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, a uh, little bit about Eric, and then I'll, Eric, I'll let you tell your story too. But he's founder and principal of Wild Oak Capital. He's been investing in real estate for over a decade now. And uh, Eric and the Wild Oak team provide investment opportunities through multifamily syndication. And he's also the co owner of a civil engineering firm. And, uh, you know, so. Eric's got a bit of skills. He's, he's got a range of skills that not only suit uh, the field of syndication, real estate, but also uh, obviously the very tactical level of uh, civil engineering. So with that said, uh, you also have a, a podcast too. I don't want to miss that. You also have a podcast called the Real Estate Mindset Podcast, where uh, you talk with a lot of industry leaders and just what it really takes to become successful uh, as an investor and and personal growth and professional growth. So uh, it's a great podcast that uh, definitely listeners should check out as well. So Eric, with that said, why don't you give our listeners a bit more uh, detail about your background and what you're doing today? Cool. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, kind of like standard, more or less, I'll say middle-class upbringing. Like my parents were like, get good grades, go to college, get a job, do that job forever. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like the story you hear. And the thing is like, they, you know, this picture is painted as that's the American dream, which for some people that is. And so I definitely don't want to bash it, but it turns out that that really didn't suit my style or yeah. like, I don't know, just once, basically once that was all completed, right. Like wasn't necessarily what I was after. Um, so, but, it, but it's kind of took me kind of cruising through all that to realize that. So, uh, kind of getting in a, in a real estate, it's funny, like our, my first foray was in college my brother and I, we decided to buy a house and rent it out to friends. And, and it was funny because this is like 2006, 2007. And I had this internship at an engineering company. So I was making like, okay, money. My brother had just uh, come back from like a military deployment. So he had a little bit of cash in his pocket. And so the lenders were like, oh yeah, psh, totally approved. Like yeah. we honestly had no business getting a loan. I mean, I, yeah. but <laughs> back then, right. It was, that's honestly part of the reason for the crash, yeah, anybody but, could. but yeah, it's like, oh, you have a name? Cool. Yeah. We'll loan you money. So right. we bought a house and actually, I mean, that was really kind of my first like learning around it all. And we, so we were house hacking before we knew what that was, you know, fixing up this house and we ended up selling it 2010 or something like that and made a little bit of money. Um, but that was kind of like the initial, like if you made money really. buying it in, what'd you say? 2006, five, six. Yep. 2007 and selling in 10, 11. I mean, it definitely I mean, like the market had crashed around five. us. Yeah. Well, it was funny. I mean, like as a college student, I will say like, you're kind of insulated from that. Like th that's the truth. Like you're not making any money anyway that, you know, you're reading the news or whatever, but you're just so focused on school and classes. You're just like, well, yeah. you know, I'm a server at a restaurant. It's not really affecting me per se. Yeah. And so we just didn't really think about it. And that's, that's the truth. Like we're just yep. fixing up this house, renting to friends. Just, just doing yeah. Pleasure. We yeah. had the, had the crash not happen. We would have made more money. But we honestly were like, oh, cool. Like, 
I can't remember what it was. And we made like, at the end of the day, all told probably 10 grand each, which is a huge number yeah, at 22 years old. You know, I was like, right. oh man, this is awesome. Um, so anyway, so that was kind of the first like taste of it. And it could have gone way differently. And that's kind of a good point to say is like, mm-hmm. it, could, it could have been a disastrous thing. But anyway, years later, my wife and I kind of traveled around and uh, lived in different places. So once we settled back down, we bought a house. And that's when I really like, you know, got a, a steady quote unquote W2 engineering job. And we're like, okay, well, started doing a little bit of math. I'm like, man, my my 401k that they're offering is like, that's going to take 25 years or more, you know, which I know is a standard, and that's a standard time. Like most people are looking at that timeline, but I was like, how can we accelerate this? Like, how can we like find a different avenue? Right. So that's when I started looking at real estate. We bought a rental property kind of near us. And, you know, it's, I mean, kind of similar. I didn't really know what I was doing to be totally honest. Then a friend of mine was like, oh man, like you should listen to bigger pockets or here's rich dad, poor dad. So like I actually, even after our first rental, I was like, oh, like there's, this is kind of a business, you know? Yeah. So started learning more, buying a little bit more, scrapping here and there. We're just kind of saving every penny we made and putting it towards like single families and stuff. Then I saw a meetup in our area, went and a friend of mine, who's a good friend now, uh, was running this meetup and he was doing syndications I'd never even heard of. And yeah. so he kind of was like, gave me just this, hey man, check this out. And at first I was like, ah, oh, no way. That's not for me. I don't want to partner. I know what I'm doing. Like all the kind of egotistical stuff. And he's like, trust me, you can go further faster with partners, you know? So um, kind of hired him as a coach because he was doing some coaching stuff and that just exploded my world. So that's that's really when he was challenging me to think bigger and say, hey, like syndication is like a really cool thing. It's you're helping people build wealth. You're getting a piece of the pie too. Uh you know, and it's just kind of a team effort. And so I, I kind of fell in love with that concept is like syndication is such a cool tool. I love real estate investing in general, one, but two is like, you are all working together to build your wealth. The other thing is like, as you know, Todd, this community is like super collaborative. Like, I, I don't think I've ever met a successful, you know, investor who's not ready and willing to help or say, yeah, this one didn't work for us. Try this one out or whatever. Like, here's a manager I like, like, it's not a, it's not kind of that like dog eat dog world, really. It's it's definitely more collaborative. And that's another thing to love about it. So so since that time, um, yeah, we've had some success with syndications. Uh, and we buy in well, Texas. Let me, st- let me stop you right there. We'll, we'll, okay. dive, we'll go back. But, you know, somebody, I think that's intimidating, right? For a lot of people to ask those questions. I, I, and I agree with you. Like, this is a super collaborative. It, it's really kind of weird, actually. Super collaborative. It is weird. Most industries aren't like that. You know, you're civil engineer as well. Like, is that, is it like that? And that no, not, I mean, engineering world's so different. That's, it's so annoying. So like, I think maybe I've learned from real estate to be that way, to have this like abundance mentality, but that's not the case in most industries. Like no. most people are like, why would you help your competitor? <laughs> you know, like people email, like ask for plans or whatever. I'm free. Like, yeah, sure. Here's the AutoCAD. Like I already did the work. I got paid for it. I can help you and save you and your clients some time. Whereas some people are like, oh no, hold, hold your plans close. Like they're your competitor. I don't know. I just, so, and I think, you know, I've never had a like corporate job, but from what I hear, I mean, it's kind of this, like everybody sure they're your peer, but they're also your like competitor, you know? So there's always this dance, right. Which luckily I've never been a part of, but yeah. So real estate is awesome that way. 
it, it, it's yeah. So I think for those the people that want to get started want to like jump in. Like you just got to start talking to people, right? Yeah. Would you agree? Just start asking questions. Hundred percent. Yeah. When people ask me what's the first thing to do, I say usually start getting educated. I'm start listening to podcasts, and then at the same time start telling people, "Hey, I'm interested in real estate. Hey, I'm looking at real estate. Hey," because then you're putting that bug in people's ear that this is what you're going to do, yeah. right? Like that would, and even that's for raising capital too. Someone says, how do I raise capital? I'd say, start telling people you're an investor. Even if you don't own anything, like start telling people, hey, I'm looking at real estate. I'm going to provide investment opportunities through this. So totally. And meetups, uh, there's online stuff. There's so many, there's so many books. There's so many podcasts that are awesome. Like this one. I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you're in the right direction. Cause like, that's what you need to do. Talk to people. And everyone is willing to help. I mean, it's the truth. Like if you email myself or a Todd, I'm sure with questions, if they can't answer, they're going to send you somebody or they're going to answer questions. Right. So like, yep. it's a pretty easy business to learn, to be honest, if you're willing to put in the effort. Yeah. Yeah. What, Eric, why do you think, like, why do you think it is? Why do you think people in this industry are just so willing to give? Like what, what makes it unique? You know, I don't know, honestly, yeah. like yeah, I, totally. I, I'll just say, the culture was that way as I came in mm-hmm. and I'm so glad it is because it could be different, yeah. right? It could be like, Oh, I want the best deals and like kind of hide stuff from each other and be kind of like shady, but it's really not at all. And so truthfully, I don't have an well, answer for why it is other than just like, I'm grateful that it is. You hear about it, you know, Oh, you know, it used to be this old boys club. You used to, I, I would hear that when I first started, now it's all, it's an old boys club. Got to get in. You got to be one of the old boys. Uh, that's how you get the deals. And I don't feel like it's that at all right now, at least maybe it used to be. Um, there's or- times when I feel, I will say there's times when I feel that way a little bit with brokers, like certain brokers are kind of old school yeah, who might be yeah. like, give a little bit of deals to their favorite guys or whatever, girls, whatever. But that's the only time I feel it is like in that mm-hmm. broker relationship thing. And I think that tide is shifting as well. I think it's yeah. more like, you know, collaborative, the internet's sort of not really allowing that anymore either. It's like, it's hard to have a pocket listing for very long um, because, you know, the sellers can say, where's my listing? (laughs) So I think it's, it's fading away. That's the only time I've ever felt that. But again, it's not that way at all. And, and the other thing is like, in a lot of these, you go to an event and I will say it's still, you know, unfortunately it's still a lot of, a lot of, it's definitely more men, but there's way more women who are like showing up big time and doing really cool stuff. And so that's pretty exciting to be part of this like change in that as well. But generally speaking, no, it's super collaborative. I found anyone I'm really like anyone I ask questions of or like have advice more than willing to share, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And with the broker thing, you know, I kind of, I kind of understand it, right. That they're sitting there, they're representing this, you know, $20 million deal, whatever it is, they're representing this big $20 million deal. They're going to get a commission check for this if it gets closed and they don't want somebody, they have no clue messing this thing up. So they're gonna, that, yeah. that's, that's a big part of why they're bringing it to their buddies is because they, they know their buddy's going to close on this thing. They know their buddy's been underwriting it. They know their buddy knows everything about it and they want this deal closed because they're going to get their, you know, $400,000 commission check. And if they bring in some random guy or gal that they have no clue about, that could mess up their commission check. That might be their last opportunity to ever sell that property. That now totally agree. To yeah, the that's a great Wakefield point. Broker or whoever. So here's the 
here's the other thing about that. This is a lesson for anyone who's trying to get in this business is, you know, early on the way that we got started. And I think a lot of people do this way is like, again, I had a coach, right? So when we found our first deal, he partnered with us on the deal and not every coach is like that. Right. Or like, I don't know, sometimes it can be a little bit sleazy. Like some of these gurus would be like, well, let me have a portion of your GP. Right. Yeah. It was in a very real, yeah, I like your deal. Yes. I'll partner with you, you know? And that was cool. Cause he had a thousand units under his belt. And so when we submitted the LOI and we like had this bio, we were taken way more seriously. So totally get it. I mean, you got to kind of show up with, uh, yeah, we're going to close this deal. Yes. We've, you know, someone on our team or a few people on our team have had some experience. So that's a good point too, is like, you know, there's a reason for that. They want to know someone who can close is the front runner. Yeah, yeah for sure. All right. So I interrupted you on a you know, kind of your journey, but let, let's talk about what, what you guys are doing today. What's, what's, uh, you know, what's, what are you looking for in a deal? How, yeah. What do you guys buy? Love it. So we actually found some success uh, in a little bit smaller deals. We have uh, two 48 units. We have a 62 unit. We're closing on a 58 unit, kind of in that zone. Like it can be a little bit challenging management wise if there's not, you are know, you if there's not a manager. Party, third party. Yeah. Third party. Uh, always. So we don't, yeah, we're not integrated. So, um, so like, here's an example is like in Tulsa, our manager, we just absolutely love her. She's incredible. And the whole team's incredible. What they'll do is they'll, they'll take some of like our 48 unit, for example, like they have a leasing person there who's half time and a maintenance person who's there half time. And then they have another property who's owned by another person who they'll split that payroll. And so if you have a manager who's willing to do that type of creative stuff, I kind of like those smaller, those smaller buildings. Now, would I like it to be hundred units or 150 units? Sure. But I think the price probably would be different and the returns would be different. So what we're finding is there's just less competition. Cause I think lots and lots of people will say hundred plus, like that's just any broker they talk to, but we're like, yeah, more like 40 plus assuming it's in the right market and assuming we have the right manager in place. So that's kind of what we look for. I mean, of course, yeah, if 150 unit falls in our lap, we're going to go for it. We yeah. closed on 106 unit. Um, so it's not like, it's not like that's all we buy, but I think we have found some success in that zone. And so that's kind of what we're going for. Multifamily C-class are better. We don't do war zone stuff. We don't do deep value add. That's not our thing. So we're looking for, you know, in a perfect world, it'd be like C plus in a, you know, B area, you know, like kind of the worst apartments in the best neighborhood type thing. Yeah. You know, that it's an interesting uh, zone to play. And I think is that 40 to, you know, call it 80 unit, whatever, just on, under a hundred units over 40 units. Um, it's it's this zone where a lot of people probably don't play. And there's a couple of reasons. I think it's, it's a little bit more difficult to manage them. Um, but I would say it's also, it's too big for most people, right? Uh, most, even, even a JV group, even you and five of your buddies trying to put, pool some capital together, like, eh, we can buy a 20 unit, maybe a 30 unit, but to get to that 40, 50, 60 unit, and eh, that might be pushing it in most markets. And then a lot of the syndicators, for sure, the, the big, the big, big money, they're going after two, three, four, 500 unit buildings. They're not, they're not going after that, but where I think there's probably a lot of value and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but 
you're probably buying from a lot of more ma and pa type owners. They don't have systems in place and you can come in and probably implement a lot of that stuff. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge value, right? Is like, you're going to see management has been maybe not like, like done wrong, right. To your point is maybe not have systems, maybe not have like yeah. some streamlined ways of, of getting that stuff kind of up to speed. Or maybe like, you know, we were looking at a couple of properties where they had like four people on staff and it was like 62 units. And it was just this kind of family, just basically paying people just to be nice, you know, like, I don't want to fire people for no reason. Absolutely. They're doing a good job. It's like, there, there's just not room for that. So the books were pretty thin because they were like (laughs) 78% expense ratio, you know, it's like, well, have a look at your payroll. Like it sounds mean, but you're going to have to thin out there, right. On expenses. And then this business is just immediately worth way more. And so, you know, that, yeah, for sure. And the other thing is like, I think a lot of times people forget, like, this is a people, people business. Like our main concern when we buy a property is the tenants. Like if you can take care of tenants and you can do right by them, Mm -hmm. you're undoubtedly going to be more successful. So in the back of our mind, it was always like, if I'm living in this apartment building, what would I want? Right? Like maybe a dog park, maybe some parties, maybe some free pizza for my kids, maybe some school supplies, like things like that, where it's like, think about the people as an owner. Not necessarily. And, and I say that right after I just like chopped payroll, right? Like I sound like a jerk, but I do think about like- You fire all these people. Like, <laughs> but it's like, you know, to care of the tenants, that's, if you have that in your mind, yeah. like if you, if you ask a tenant, hey, what do you want in your apartment? Like, instead of just saying, okay, once you move out, we're going to like redo the whole thing. Like if you have a great tenant, you could say, hey, can we come in at the lease over, raise your rent 25 bucks, do a new countertop and some sinks or whatever you want, right? Like that's a, that's kind of a thing we do as well to retain good tenants while still being able to kind of improve the unit a little bit. So there's a handful of things you can do, I think that just, you know, yeah. add value in, in a non-traditional sense. Yeah, no, that that's really cool. I think you're spot on. I mean, just if you can focus on, th- here's the thing is I think a lot of people don't, and I think it's getting better. I actually think it, it was a lot worse, uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago, probably 40 years ago, um, people had this mentality of, well, it's just a, it's just a tenant, you know, ah, they're just, it's good enough type of thing. I think a lot more people and it hopefully continues more and more people really care about their resident, which is their client. Like you think about it, like you go to a shop at a store and you're expecting customer service, right? Especially if it's a customer service type, type shop, like you're not going to, you're not going to go, are you going to go to a restaurant if they're not respectful to you? And if they're not, it's not clean. And if they're not doing anything that they should be doing, like, you're not going to go back, right? You're going to give them a bad review. Exactly. You're going to tell your buddies too. You're like, Hey, don't go to that restaurant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So why do you expect anything different from your, from your tenant? You treat them with disrespect. You give them a crappy place to live. You don't fix their stuff. And then you expect them to pay their rent and be happy about it. Like, you know, come on. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Totally agree, man. It's like focus on the client. That's it. It's customer service in a sense. So yeah, we love those. Like, you know, it's funny too. Like our manager likes that stuff as well. Like, we would come to them with these ideas. Like we love to do the school supply thing, like beginning That's of the school really cool. year. I like that. Yeah. Like, Hey, let's give some school supplies to all the kids in the units. Right. Mm. Like 
it doesn't cost us much money, honestly, but it helps the parents. Kids Especially are all jazzed. Break it down a per unit basis. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And it's like that type of stuff is just so cool to just be able to bring to, to that property. And then, yeah, it's the exact thing you're talking about the restaurant is be like, Hey man, this apartment building like helped us out with school supplies or whatever, and actually listen to us. Um, so yeah, we put a big emphasis on like, you know, repairs, right? If there's a repair request immediately, you know, you know, stuff like that. So you just, again, think like, put yourself in those shoes. I've lived in an apartment before. Like I've been in buildings. I know, I know what it's like to not have something fixed when you ask for it, it sucks. Yeah. Um, and the opposite's true, or something needs break breaks or whatever. And you're like, hey, can you fix this? They're like, yeah, sure, I'll be there tomorrow. You know, um, so that type of stuff. I think I agree. Like, I think there's a, a shift again in the business, it's, which is great. Number one controllable expense is tenant turnover, and number one reason for turnover is maintenance. Oh, that's actually I didn't know that, but I mean, I I believe it. It's like. <laughs> I mean, if you look at reviews, too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but if you look at reviews, like if you go to apartments.com and look at a review of apartment building, that's like the number one complaint. But like they didn't yeah. fix stuff I asked them to fix or whatever. And you know, maybe some other stuff, but that that's generally the one I'll see most common. Uh, because obviously you're gonna like review. Like if you're buying an apartment, you'll go to apartments.com and look at reviews of what you're buying all the time. There's like maintenance was never there or whatever, something was broken. So that's the one thing I think, whether or not your, your facts are, or facts, I mean, I believe you, but it's, it's it gotta be, good at least. yeah, it's gotta be close to true. Cause that yeah. is so frustrating oh, for I, tenants. Yeah. I, I'm about, about 99% sure that's true. Uh, Eric, <laughs> you got, you got two things you're, you're juggling. You've got the, the real estate uh, business and then you've got, uh, well, you've got more than that, I'm sure, but you've got the engineering business too. talk to me about you know, how you're juggling those effectively, how you're not letting either of those go off the rails. Um, you know, it's just maybe some tips and strategies, uh, which probably will help our listeners. Yeah. I love it. So I think, I mean, this is cool because, you know, most people, let's be real, like syndication, you're not going to get rich quick. It's just a reality. Like, I think people think, Oh, if I become a syndicator, I can quit my job within a couple months. I mean, maybe if you really pinch in pennies, right. But like, you're really not going to get a ton of cash flow until basically disposition, right? So you kind of have these like, yeah, there's acquisition fees. Yeah, you have a small piece of the pie, right? You're going to have some cash flow, but really not much. So it is kind of hard to replace your income quickly. So, you know, people talk about wanting to do this. I'm like, well, yeah, that's good, but you're going to have to build up a pretty good portfolio before it can replace your income. So that was the same for me, right? Like started doing this more or less on the side. And then what I what I will say is what I did very clearly as my wife was like, Hey, I want to, I'm really excited about this new opportunity. It's going to take some extra time. Like, are you on board? And she was like, yeah, let's do it. And what it meant was early on, especially it was like pretty late night. So I'd like put our kids to bed and then I'd be like, jump back online on this business, you know? So during the day I was in engineering, basically most evenings were focused on real estate. I've made a shift. Uh, I work basically call it three and a half days on engineering and two and a half days on real estate a week, just ballparking, uh, or one and a half, sorry. Um, and, and then kind of fill in the gaps, right? So like lunchtime after kids are asleep, whatever I need to do is kind of like is real estate time. You to say like, not let either fall off the rails. I mean, that's just kind of like part of your duty, right? Like as, as again, as like a syndicator, like this isn't my money. I don't really have the option to allow stuff to slip. But the biggest piece of all of this is partnerships. 
I have a couple of partners who are just really sharp. And so we have very clear lanes. It's like, here's what you're in charge of. If you need help, let us know. But we're all like on board with our stuff we're supposed to be doing, right? We meet every week to discuss all the properties. We have all the property meetings as well. So we see each other there, but more or less the partnerships are like the way to keep stuff on the rails. You know, it's like, you got to trust your partners. And if they're doing their part, you're doing your part. It's pretty straightforward with real estate engineering. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, you know, you can only take on so much. So one thing I've learned to do is just say no to stuff I can't do or don't want to do. That's huge. Cause that's tough. That's tough for a lot of people. Cause it's like opportunity comes along. You want to grab it, but eventually you're just gonna have to start saying no. So that's kind of a couple of tips would be really key partnerships and, you know, only take on the stuff you can or want to do. Yeah. That, that is, that can be very difficult too. And, and it, it's some of the shiny object syndrome. It's, it's but it's also just like, you, know, you kind of have people, people want you to do something. You kind of feel obligated, like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta take this on or, you know, maybe it's, this is going to take us to the next level or whatever it is, but it, you have to say no. Like, and if you, when you say no, it, it frees you up to, to actually having better growth. Um, so I'm sure now, as you've been saying, no, you've, uh, my, my guess is that things have actually grown, you know, bigger after saying no. Yeah. And I think the other thing too is like, oh yeah. And that's definitely true. And so I, I work, I still work with my coach to this day and talk about that a lot is like time blocking time stuff. Sure. That's important, right? Like those things are, are there for a reason, but even more than that is to have a little bit of patience. So like Mm. when I very first like got started, I was like, oh, I gotta have a website. I gotta have a league magnet. I gotta have podcasts. I gotta like, I wanted it all then right now. Gotta go. And he was like, you know, this is a journey of a lot of years. He's like, you can do it at whatever pace you want to do. Right. But like, take your time, make the website sharp, you know, don't have to start a podcast. That's not something you have to do. Right. Like I love it. So I'm glad I did, but like, you don't have to write a book. You don't have to write a, you know, ebook, whatever you like, you can just take your time. And that was huge advice for me too. It was like, when, if you're first starting out, you have this desire and feel like I got to have all this stuff in place. You'll have those things. Like they'll come with time. It would be better to enjoy the journey, you know? And I also give that with like a caveat that I wasn't kicking the door out of my office. Like I was still enjoying my work. I still enjoy engineering to this day. So some people feel the the speed necessity more than I did or do, but uh, even still, I think patience is still incredibly valuable and just take your time with it. Yeah, I agree. Take your time with it. You know, look, it's easy. I get it. It's easy to get caught up and excited and, you know, there's, there's definitely positive outcomes. Um, but you have, you have to be patient. If you're not patient, you're going to get yourself wrapped up in some, some bad deals. You're going to get yourself wrapped up into to just doing things the wrong way. Um, and I, it's never going to, it's never going to suit you. Well, if, if it, it doesn't matter and anybody who says they can go at it f- super fast and lightning speed, it, it, you know what, there's, everybody's got their own pace, certainly. But yeah, can I go ahead? I was going to see if I could share a story about that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, every, like I just, everybody's got their own pace. So everybody can go at a different pace, but 
the real estate is just not a, it's just not a get get rich quick it's not it's not a, you're not starting doing a startup tech company and all of a sudden maybe it catches fire like that's just not what this is yeah i've actually two stories to tell i'll, I'll tell the shorter one first <laughs> i was on a call with a guy now this is a very true story so he, he like on our website you can like get on a call with me right so i didn't know who this guy was so we get on a call and he's like, Hey, um, I wanted to get into the multifamily. I got like, oh, cool. That's awesome. Cause I do some coaching as well. And so I teach people and have a little course, teach people how to do the business. And, uh, so I assumed that's what he's looking for. He's like, okay, I, I want to be an LP. I'm like, cool. That's actually a good way to learn is to be a limited partner in a deal. You can kind of like see how it works. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, okay, I've got about 250 grand. And my goal is to, I want to net a hundred K a month. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I mean, what, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, I just want to jump all in and put all my money in. And like, I just want to get a hundred grand a month so I can quit my job. And I was like, I am very confused. Are we talking about the same numbers here? So I kind of was like, you're talking about over a million dollars in profit from a quarter million dollar investment. And he's like, well, yeah, when you put it like that, I mean, I just heard there's big money in real estate. But like, like that was, he's just like, I just heard it yeah. like, yeah. all right, well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this is not how this business works. No, no. <laughs> so I was like, if you want to be an operator, you want to be a syndicator, that's fine. I, you know, there's programs out there where you can learn, but I'll tell you what, you're never going to turn to quarter million dollars and do a million dollars in cash year over year. It's just not going to happen. No. So I was like, you need to find something different or, and even then I've cautioned you, that sounds pretty dicey, right? <laughs> so that was kind of the, the short story that I think people think it's a get rich quick scheme. It absolutely is not. It takes no. a lot of time and patience. Um, yeah, you talk to somebody who's already arrived, call it, um, you know, already, already has the success they have, they've had a long journey. You know, yeah, for sure. No, nobody, nobody's had a two year journey, a six month journey, a five year journey. They've had a long journey. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, you go to any, any, uh, you know, like go to the best ever conference, right? There's 800 people there and you find the most successful people. They've been doing it for 10 years. And it's like, how long did it take you to get that success? And it's a long time. I mean, it, yeah. it just takes a while to really replace income. You might, you might build your wealth. I think that's a different, a different metric, right? Like for every property you close, you get a piece of that pie as a GP. And so your wealth has grown, Sure, but the cash flow really isn't, isn't that much. Um, you know, so it just takes a lot of time to build that up. And it's kind of this grind, of doing the right thing over and over and over. And then the second story I'll share is, is early on when I very first started, you know, I was in this mastermind and met this guy. He's like, okay, I got a deal. I'm looking for a partner. And I was so, so desperate to get my first deal. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll totally join you, you know? And so we kind of get down the road a little bit. And pretty soon I find out a ton of stuff about him and the property were both really not great. Like, and not, not that he's a bad person, but he was really inexperienced, really didn't have sure. like just all the stuff. Right. And then the property turned out to not be what, what was presented. The numbers again were fudged a little bit. It needed way more maintenance. And he was like, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Like he was like really a uh, same story, like one of the deal. Right. So I had to back out of the whole thing and it made him super mad. Like he was really, really mad. And I was like, well, you know, it just wasn't what you represented. Right. So I wish had I known what I know now, again, patience, be very slow to enter partnerships, like find out from others about that person, whatever it is, if you're going to enter a partnership, you know, do your diligence on them. And it's, 
it sounds harsher than it is, but it comes down to it's a business and you're working with other people's money. So it's definitely worth taking the time to, you know, due diligence on your partners and, and of course the property. And I was just so new and so excited that I wanted to do it. And I'm glad I didn't do it. I mean, had I jumped into that, holy cow, this whole trajectory would look different. Um, so I caution other people with something I almost did very wrong to definitely take the time early on before you jump into a partnership. So you learned from that and you learned while doing that, what's a mistake that you've made? Um, and how have you learned from that one? Yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, that was something just in general, just saying, yes, that was a huge mistake. I should have been like, Oh yeah, maybe, you know, <laughs> like, let me look at the property, look at you some more. I mean, to say that I haven't made, I've made so many mistakes, right? Like, um, you know, an easy one would be like, I bought a like more or less turnkey uh, house in, sure. in Texas early on. Was it from on, a turnkey like, provider? It wasn't, but it was like a flip basically more or yeah. less, you know, and it was good. I, I honestly, I don't like necessarily regret it. I just, I just know now like those turnkey things, the numbers they provide, again, they're kind of just like trying to sell the property and, and there's, yeah. it's a possibility. It's the same thing that brokers numbers, right? Like you can't really trust their forecasts. Like yeah. oh, it's sure. there to sell the property. So similar story is just like, I wouldn't have bought that asset having, having known what I know now, mm-hmm. it's hard to look back and say that easily, but turnkey is, is kind of someone else is making the money on it, you know? And it, we eventually, the market's helped us out. Like we still own that property. And so it's, it's worth quite a bit more because the market's appreciated a lot, but that would be an example of like, Hey, if I would have known a little bit more about how this whole process works, I wouldn't have purchased that property. So that's just one that comes to the top of mind. I mean, I have a, I have a million mistakes. Um, luckily haven't made any egregious errors in syndication. And I, I think that's partly because again, good partnerships, but two is like when you're using other people's money, for me, it takes me to like another level of diligence. Yeah, it's like for sure. extra, extra careful. For sure. For some reason, I'm okay losing mine. No, <laughs> but... I, I think that's, a, well, that should always be the case. I, I, yeah. and I, I, I'm the same way. Like if I had the money, I've looked at so many, so many deals. I'm like, oh man, I just wish I could buy this deal. If I had the money, I'd buy it. And then, you know, you maybe look at it a little bit and you go, ah, oh, it's too risky for my investors. Yeah, I can't for sure. Cause you may like your risk profile might just be fine. I mean, that's actually my personality. I'm okay with risk, but knowing most of my investors, they're really not right. And they want that kind of steady seven, 8% cash on cash and you know, whatever IRR. So it's like, yeah, I totally agree. If I had to, if I had the money for some of the more risky ones, yeah, maybe I'd go for it, but you can't use investor money for stuff that fits your risk profile. Yeah. Love it. All right, Eric, got a couple last questions before we wrap up. Um, what's a favorite book that you can recommend to the listeners? Yeah, this is kind of an easy one. Um, I think Hunter Thompson's book, uh, How to Raise Capital for Real Estate, is like right alongside with Joe Fairless's book, Best Ever. Like if you're trying to get in this business, those two books alone teach you quite a bit. I like Hunter's uh, writing better. I like, you know, his style a little bit more to be totally honest. It's not that Joe's a bad guy. I just, I talk about his book specifically. Um, so if you can, if you can read how to raise capital for, from by Hunter Thompson, that's a great book just to get started. Cool. Um, and then other stuff, I mean, we could dive into books for forever, but those are oh, two yeah, that I'd say if you're, if you're getting started into this, that that'd be what I'd recommend. Love it. Love it. Um, how do you like to give back? 
Yeah. Awesome question. Uh, I volunteer at a local boys and girls club. Um, I just have a huge passion for like good mentorship for kids. Uh, I think like it's pretty old school, maybe, but idle time is like kind of tough on kids. Like I know that from my own experience is like after school, if you have anything to do, you're going to find something to do. Right. And a lot of times it's not the best. <laughs> True. So I love uh, our, our local boys and girls club. And then I was a missionary for a couple of years. Um, so I give to a, some missionary friends and we still travel and kind of see what they're up to. And so those are kind of two things that, that we really love to give back to. Love it. Love it. Um, all right, Eric, last question before we wrap, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Uh, wow. That's a tough one. Um, so I think first pillar is basically like get your finances in order. I always say like, if you, if you don't have a pretty good savings to fall back on, if you don't have like your kind of financial house in order, don't even think about wealth creation. Like the first thing you do is pay off debts, right? Get your kind of like financial house in order. That'd be one. Then from there, you can start looking at, okay, what are your goals? Like what's your end goal, right? So then the next one would be when and where do you want to retire? What does success look like to you? Hmm. And then, I mean, this is not really necessarily pillars. I'm just talking about how to build, I guess. But, and then the third pillar was basically be like, find the thing that drives you, find the thing that juices you and and builds the wealth that you're looking for. So I guess I'd be like, get your house in order, figure out your goals, and then figure out the thing that accomplishes that goal, I guess. Love it. Love it. Love those three pillars. Um, well, Eric, look, I really appreciate, uh, appreciate the time and, uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. We've just had a good conversation. Uh, how can our listeners get in touch with you, learn more about what you got going on? Yeah. Um, easiest way is on my website, uh, wildoakcapital.com, or you can email me directly, eric at wildoakcapital.com. So you'll find my podcast there. You'll find links to, to coaching and all the stuff we do. And then of course, you know, we yeah. offer, offer that stuff. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. Eric, again, really appreciate it, man. Uh, you have a fantastic rest of the day. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Todd. My pleasure. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like, uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out. And, uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.